Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns. And I'm Rick Johns. And welcome to our fourth episode in our season on relationships. And today we're going to be talking about marriage and predicting whether you're going to get a divorce. (laughs) Yeah, actually, Rick, we're not talking about predicting our listeners' divorces. We're actually going to be talking about how you could strengthen your marriage relationship by using the incredibly profound research of Dr. John Gottman, who was fabled to be able to predict a couple's divorce within 30 seconds of observing them with a 90% accuracy. And so I have to ask those of you who are married today, would you be willing to go and meet with John Gottman (laughs) and have him observe you for 30 seconds and then tell you what your future is? Ah, that would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? If you had that chance, I wonder how many of our married people would actually do it. Yeah, it'd be a little nerve-wracking. But but here's my question, Rick. Like this is this seems like an, an incredible claim. Um, how is Gottman doing this? Well, and and let's be clear, there is a bit of a trick to it. He's not just observing; he's asking you to talk about things that you have not resolved or heated issues in your marriage. So when he observes couples trying to resolve a conflict of some sort or some complaint they have about each other, that's when he could tell if their relationship is going to last or not. And he could tell by how they interacted. Mm. And and John Gottman uh, studied married people for now over 40 years, uh, maybe even 50. He's quite old now, but he's still going, he and his wife. And um, he learned all this from a lab that they set up, and they called it the Love Lab. And they would have couples come and stay at an apartment that they rented in Seattle. And these couples would stay for a weekend. They would hook these couples up to like blood pressure monitor, heart rate monitor, uh, a bunch of other things. I'm not sure all the data that they were collecting. And the couples would spend that weekend They would be monitored, and they would just ask that during the weekend, the couples would address some of the issues that they were having in their marriage, that they would Mm. sit down and talk about it. And they had video cameras, and they would observe these couples. And out of that research, and they did thousands and thousands and thousands of hours researching how couples interact, and then they tracked all these couples, you know, for 10, 20, 30 years to see, you know, who stayed together, who was divorced. And John uh, could tell by the communication style. And he came up with four horsemen. He called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> now, the good news is if you just have one horseman, you're fine. But if you have all four or three of the four, or once you get up to two of the four, you're starting to get in dangerous ground. Mm, so mm. you just need to be aware of these four horsemen. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like something we definitely need to know if we want to keep our marriages strong and, and healthy. And, and I know one of these horsemen, Rick, out of the four is, is really the worst one. Yeah, um, it's the one that's that's uh, if he saw that early on, he knew for sure uh, the couple was was on their way out. 
Yeah, we'll discuss that one uh, at last today as we Ooh. go through the four. All right, saving but... it till the end. You got to stay with us, folks, to hear what it is. <laughs> right, but he did say this: that one of the four had the most correlation with divorce. If that one horseman is in there, it's it's the worst of the four. All right, so so Rick, I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off here by by looking at the first of the four horsemen, which is criticism. Mm-hmm. And, and he says in his research that any difficult conversation that, that has a harsh startup is doomed to end poorly. And, and I, I remember ever since I heard that, I thought, how true that is. Yeah. So, so you think about if you're angry about something, you walk in and and you say something like, "Boy, it looks like you were working hard in the kitchen today," because the kitchen's a mess, you know. And a yeah. husband says that to his wife. Is there any possibility that conversation's going to end well? <laughs> no, no, it's it's not going to end well. It's not going to be productive. Nothing good is coming of that. This is such a crucial piece of his book, by the way, we should mention Gottman's groundbreaking book was The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. So we highly recommend this book. If you get excited about what you're hearing today, check out his book. You'll love it. Yeah. And he says this this concept of harsh startup, it's one of the number one reasons our communication or our discussions, our conversations uh, do not go well. Mm. And, he, and like you said, Will, mm. the minute you start with a harsh startup with a criticism as your first sentence, it's over. Like that conversation, it, yes. I mean, only two very mature people can rein that back into something that would be productive and soften, uh, you know, and soften it. You'd have to kind of reboot that conversation to make it work. But if you're just attacking, then that conversation is not going to go well and they're going to be defensive and it's going to just be an argument, and he said, she said, and why don't you? And then, as you know, Will, uh, for all of us who have been married for a while, you've had these arguments, you've had the harsh startups, and then everything else gets brought into the argument because it, it just becomes a criticism fest. Yes, yes, yes. And and really, this comes, here's a, there's a biblical principle at play here, Rick, from Matthew 7, where where Jesus says, "Judge not, or you will be judged." Mm. And, and with the measure you <laughs> use, it will be measured to you. And and I know I could I could testify that whenever in any relationship, not just in marriage, whenever I have started a conversation with a harsh startup, I almost always get a criticism coming back at me. Yeah. Well, you did blah blah blah. And, and truly, I deserve it, because if I'm giving it out, I better be ready to take it. Yeah. But both both directions, those those emotional wounds, you know, it's like emotionally punching someone in the face. Um, it doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. It's not solving anything. So we're we're just harming each other. And so so here's here's the the opposite. The, the, the direction we need to go. And I'll just share a, a personal experience with this. The opposite is a gentle startup. Right. 
And if I really care about an issue and I want to be heard, I will take some alone time to really calm myself, to pray, to get into a really good mental space. And then I will schedule the conversation. I'll say to my wife, hey, can we talk about this at, at a certain point? Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's, you know, if I feel like the moment is right, you know, can we talk about something right now? You know, but, but maybe it's, can we talk about uh, something this evening? Just have something I want to run by you or share with you. And then I know it's coming. I'm mentally prepared and I start as humbly as possible. Just with, try to remove all judge, all judgment from my tone and and the gentle startup leads to very productive conversations. Yeah, but it doesn't sound very fun. It's not as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it certainly doesn't make uh, for good TV or movies, you know, like <laughs> like uh, it's boring to watch, but it's uh, powerful. Yeah. And it's what makes it's it is really the groundwork for having important discussions about issues that you disagree on. Yeah. And, and Gottman will say, I just put in a caveat, he said there were people in their uh, observations, in their studies, that would yell and scream at each other, but they would not be critical. Like this is, the harsh startup is an attack. Yes. The harsh, it's yes. not, this isn't about the volume of your voice, though that certainly can influence people and most of us don't like to be yelled at. But I know certain cultures are louder than others, and that's okay. And so it's not about like the loudness. It's not about uh, the intensity, because some married couples, they just more intense. They like the little bit more drama. They actually feel better if they can kind of get it out with a lot of energy and intensity. What this is about is, I think a, a good way to look at this too, Will, is are you using an I statement or a you yes. statement? Yes. The you yes. statement is always critical. You never do this. Oh, you didn't take out the trash. You didn't do this. You always leave your clothes on the floor. You never get the laundry done. You never, you know. Yes. You yes. do all yes. these things and I'm sick of it and I'm tired of it. You know, you, you, you. So that's a harsh startup with the, the you statement. The, the gentle start, startup is exactly what you said, Rick, using I statements the other thing that's powerful here, and then we're, we're, we're actually going right back to Matthew 7, um, is the power of the request. Because in a gentle startup, you make a request. In a harsh startup, you make a demand. Yeah. You had better do this. And it, and it comes across to the other person in such a way where they just want to do the opposite yeah. of what you're saying. But with a, with a gentle request... And, and this is why I say it connects to Matthew 7. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given you. And, and he's actually, we often apply that to asking God for something. He's actually talking about relationships. Hmm. Saying, ask other people, and it will be given you. Yeah. And that's the opposite of judging them to get what you want, criticizing and demanding. So the soft startup with the I statements and the gentle request... That's where the power is. And, and I, I just want to say, if you haven't tried this, I have done this probably a thousand times now and gotten incredible results by being willing to let go of control, 
and just make a request. Yeah. And it's amazing how that just drops someone's defensiveness. Right. And if you begin it with that I statement, then it's, you know, there's something I want to talk to you about, you know, and, and I like the idea of if it's really important to you, make sure they have the time. When would be a good time for you? That's an, another yes. great marriage tip. Yes. We like to jump right in. If we're upset or angry about something, we just, any time is right. We're just ready to fight. And, and that gets us nowhere. And that's what Gottman observed. So it's, hey, can we talk about this later? Can we, when's a good time for you? And then I want to let you know, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm wondering if you could help me on this issue or where could we meet in the middle or what could we do about it? Even using we is so much better than you. Yes. But you can take ownership for your feelings and, and maybe the issue is more your issue. Maybe you have some, you know, weird thing about Ziploc bags and you need to tell your spouse you just don't want to use them anymore. <laughs> but you can say, hey, I really hate Ziploc bags. Is there any way we could use something else? So you're not blaming them and saying, you know, you have this issue. It's I have this issue. And can can we meet, meet in the middle somewhere? Well, and that, that leads us right to our next horseman, Rick, because the soft startup helps keep horseman number two out of the equation, yeah. which is defensiveness. Yep. So defensiveness immediately shuts down any productive conversation. And and we've all seen it. We've all run into it, right? And we've all done it. (laughs) And we've all done it. (laughs) And it is kind of the opposite. So you have the attack with criticism and defensiveness is now that counterpunch. Yes. Oh, okay. You're attacking me. Well, guess what? It's not my fault. It's not my issue. It's you're the problem. <laughs> and now it's back. It usually defenses defensiveness manifests in a counterattack. Yes. Yeah. And so you could see kind of how these horsemen now are are relating to each other. Sure. And getting in the way of a successful, productive conversation. And 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 really, you know, the solution to defensiveness is is of course number one the gentle startup to kind of make it easier for the other person to not be defensive but number two is to take responsibility for yourself and and so when i when i focus on me and my responsibility in this discussion then i'm 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 helping move it forward and my spouse could see that you know okay i'm 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 owning my part in this. Yeah. So to, to use your your very strange, and I'm not sure where you came up with that <laughs> illustration, the very strange Ziploc bag illustration, let's say, let's say I am anti-Ziploc bags for whatever reason. I could say, listen, I know this is a weird request, and I know that I really don't have any good reason for wanting to be rid of Ziploc bags, but they just irritate me. So, no, they hurt the environment, Will. All right, all right. There, he's come up with a reason. Justification. Yeah, there, is a reason. there we go. <laughs> sure. So I do have a reason, but um, but I know that it, it may be inconvenient. I know that it, you may not be at the same place with me on this. I'm just making it as a request. I'm willing to, uh, I'm open to other options here as to how we might, you know, look at this. And, and deal with this and see see how that feels as I'm taking responsibility. Right. You don't feel like being defensive 
when when I'm when I'm approaching it that way. But the real the real issue, just to be clear, is that we should not be defensive. It's the softened startup can help someone not be, but it's still possible that doing all the right things, using I statements instead of you statements, being a soft startup, waiting for the right time, the person could still be very defensive. And yes. we've all met people uh, who are just very defensive. You can't even raise the slightest criticism and they just kind of freak out and start swinging and, and, and make excuses and it, it would drive you crazy. Uh, and it's a really, it's a really bad fault to have. And I can say that because I've had it, and I do have it at times. <laughs> and I remember early in my ministry, Will, I was at a board meeting, and my elders and board members, whoever they were, were making some suggestions for things they would like to see done in the church or specifically some, some ways that they would like me uh, to kind of change. Uh, I don't even remember what they were. But I remember when they brought them up, I remember being very uh, aggravated and a bit infuriated that, oh, they're trying to tell me to change and da-da-da. And so I remember kind of just going off about it, like, no, you know, this and that. And the next day I was talking to my church clerk, and praise God, she had the guts to say something to me. And it was really kind of cute how she said it. And she said, Pastor, you know, about last night's board meeting, she said, defensiveness is not your best look. <laughs> mm, now, mm. of course, I was hurt by that statement and wanted to get out swinging again, like, I wasn't defensive. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and literally, I was about to say something that I wasn't defensive when I realized the irony of that statement. Oh, I'm not defensive, being defensive <laughs> about my defensiveness. <laughs> so all I could do is swallow my pride at that point and say, oh did you feel like I was defensive? And, and that's all I could kind of stumble out of my mouth. And she's like, yeah, she said, you know, we were just trying to suggest this and that. And, and, you know, you, you were a little upset. We could tell by it and, and, you know, don't take it personally. We just want to, we all want what's best for the church. So she was seeing that I was a young pastor. I was in my twenties and she had the guts to kind of coach me. Now that can go well or bad sometimes, but for me, it was a little bit of feedback that helped me because yeah. I said, oh, I'm coming across as defensive and it rubs people the wrong way and I need to be aware of that. Absolutely. And, and here's the beauty is um, as we address these four horsemen, there's no guarantee that when you have a conversation with your spouse or with another person that they won't fall into one of these horsemen. Sure. But if they do you'll be much more aware of it now that you know what they are. And in, again, instead of judging or criticizing them, the beauty of this principle of taking responsibility is I make sure I take care of myself. Yeah. And, and there's a great old saying that says, keep your side of the street clean. <laughs> and and it, what it's all about is I, I have to deal with me in this. Yeah. What the other person does is out of my control. And, and I'm not trying to police them. I'm not trying to control them. I'm making sure that I'm showing up in this healthy way. And, and I promise you, if you use this practice, these principles, you'll begin to see changes in the people around you. And, and what guarantees that is what we talked about in family systems in previous episodes, yeah. Rick. 
Because family system says you change one part of the system, you change them all. You change yeah. the whole system. You're changing the system by showing up differently. If you address these four horsemen, in fact, I would say to any anybody in a relationship, anybody, you don't have to be married. You can be in a, a dating relationship. This is four great things to talk about. And if you're going to be mature about it, ask your partner, hey, do you think, which of these four do you think I struggle with the most? Yes. That's a tough question to ask, especially if you're defensive. <laughs> but it's a good one. Like you, what you're saying is you can really change your marriage or your relationship for the better. Um, do, who doesn't want that? Who who doesn't want a marriage that's more satisfying, more happy, where you feel like, oh, we have an open relationship where we can each talk honestly about these things and we can get to a resolution. We yes. can find a place to put this behind us and move forward and we both own our part of it. I mean, that's happy. That's healthy. That's that's great. We all want that. And And sometimes we have this this kind of shallow perspective that if we just shut up about all the problems yeah. and pretend everything's fine, the relationship will work. Yeah, then there's no problems because we're not, we're not talking about them, so there must be no problems. But, but then they just go <laughs> underground and come out in other weird ways and, and destructive yes. ways. And so if someone comes to you, and I've learned this as well as a pastor uh, with your story there, Rick, like if someone comes to me and says, you know, I wish you would do this, or I didn't appreciate when you did that. I, I try to take that criticism as constructive, mm -hmm. you know, that they care about me enough to share this, and and there's got to be at least one percent of truth in what they're and what they're saying. You know, yeah. maybe it's somewhat unfair, and they don't understand everything else that was that was going on with me. You know, but but there's always that that degree of truth involved in statements of, you know, criticism or uh, so forth. So, yeah. so we have our part, you know, to, to play in this. But the beauty is when we start doing the positive side, the opposite of the four horsemen, we follow those positive principles, we're going to see a major difference. Exactly. And that leads us right to the third horseman. And the third horseman, I think, kind of goes along with the, the second one, and it is stonewalling. Mm, so another, yes. another way, at least in my mind, of kind of being defensive is just to go stonewall. And stonewalling is when you withdraw and you just, it's basically the silent treatment. Yes. And this is a common one. Uh, maybe you're married to someone who does this, or maybe you're uh, good at it yourself. Um, I can go there when I'm overwhelmed or just don't know how to deal with something and or just angry, so angry that I know if I talk about it, it will not be constructive. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, it's kind of like, Rick, it's kind of like massive defensiveness and criticism without words. Yeah. So it's like... Yeah. I'm going to tell you exactly how little I think of you <laughs> by shutting you out, cutting yeah. you off, you know, and, and in a way, if you've ever been on the other side of it, it kind of feels like a mini divorce, right? Mm, it's yeah. like, this is what it feels like for the relationship to be over. Yeah. Because I'm getting nothing out of this other person, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so... As a, as a psychological weapon, you can see how cruel it can be. 
And if you're a stone waller, it's something that you need to work on and, and recognize I need to talk about this, even if it's to say, hey, I'm still processing. You know, just a little bit of information can really help because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than just having someone be totally silent and you're not sure what are they thinking about? Is it over, over? You know, you just need a little bit to show you where they're at because otherwise your mind will race and think the worst. Well, and, and those of you in the in the dating realm right now, you know how awful it feels to be ghosted where you've been texting and calling and all of a sudden the, the person goes silent. No explanation, right? no nothing, and your mind just goes crazy. Like, what did I do? What did yeah. I say? How did we get to this? Um, and you start making up things in your mind. Oh, yeah. 99% of which are probably not what the issue is at all, but you don't know because you have no idea what the actual issue is. So so if you, if you catch yourself being the one doing the stonewalling, take some deep breaths, practice some self-care, and then give give a, a very short comment like, I'm, I'm processing right now. I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I'll let you know when I am. That's it. That's all you have to say. And the anxiety in your partner or your, the person you're in relationship with will go way down, way down. Yeah. So it's a, it's a wonderful gift to communicate when you recognize that you've been stone, stonewalling someone else. Yeah. And that leads us to our fourth and final uh, of the horsemen. This the most, is the big one. The most dangerous. And uh, it won't surprise us when we learn that the fourth one is contempt. Mm. Contempt is the real predictor of divorce. And Gottman said whenever he saw contempt, if contempt was a prominent part of the marriage, he knew there was going to be a divorce. You cannot mm. continue when one partner has contempt for another, or even worse, if both have contempt for each other. Well, and, and, and Rick, we need to kind of define contempt as it applies here um, to see just how terribly damaging it is. And, and one definition in this context is attacking the other person's sense of self with an intent to insult or abuse. So you can right. see how far this is going now. Well, and contempt is that mindset of, I just really dislike this person. Mm. They are not mm. valuable. They are, they are a piece of junk. This person is a waste. There's nothing valuable about them. And we see this. Uh, I, you know, the sad thing is I see it far too often in marriages. Where one person really just seems to despise their spouse. They're just a loser. They never do, or he can't keep a job, or she doesn't ever clean the house, or, you know, just whatever thing has really kind of loomed large in the spouse's mind, they use it to discard any value that that spouse has. And Rick, I should jump in here and just say, you know, often in the, the Christian church, you know, we're we're trying to support and encourage marriages to stay together. Um, but, but just staying together is not enough. Right. Because if you stay together and practice contempt on your spouse, <laughs> you are doing much, like a hundred times more harm to them than if you left them. Yeah. 
Gottman's. And so, so this is this is has to be addressed if you believe in what a Christian marriage should look like. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And any kind of marriage, you got to get contempt out of there. If contempt is there, uh, there was a study by the University of Michigan showing that people in a contemptuous, bad marriage are thirty five percent more likely to get sick, have chronic illnesses. And one study showed you could live like four years less. It could take four years off your life, a bad marriage. So this is important. Absolutely. (laughs) And and even as Christian pastors, we're not for divorce. We're all for trying to work things out. But if you're in an abusive, contemptuous relationship, that's worse than being divorced. Yeah, absolutely. And and so here's, here's here's the antidote. Number one, again, we're looking at keeping our side of the street clean. I'm dealing with me. We learned in systems theory, we start with ourselves. And when I'm looking at myself, how do I get rid of contempt? Well, there's, there is the antidote, which is building a culture of appreciation. Yeah. So instead of only seeing the flaws in your spouse or in the person that you're in some kind of relationship with, look for their good qualities and be grateful for the good that they're bringing into your life. Because if you really look for all of the good and then weigh that against the the flaws, you're going to see that all of the good qualities almost always outweigh the flaws. Yeah. And, And even if they don't, if you're looking at those good qualities while you're looking at the flaws, you're getting at least a fair and balanced picture of the person rather than the unbalanced negative pic- picture of only looking at, at their character flaws. Which leads to contempt, which destroys yes. the relationship and destroys them. So if you want your spouse to be better, contempt will not get them there. A- absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and Rick, I feel like Gottman pulled this right out of Matthew 7, because in Matthew seven twelve, Jesus says, Do unto others as you've had them do to you. Well, no one likes being the object of contempt. Like no. that, is, that is the worst feeling on the planet. So, yeah. so we know we don't want to give this out. This is, this is what we want to do, the exact opposite. Gottman, when he did his training, he would show video clips from couples with contempt. And it was often one spouse kind of mocking the other one. Sometimes they'd even do their voice oh, you always want this. Oh, I like my car. You know, just like little ways that they're sarcastic, mocking. Uh, You know, we might even call it abusive at times, verbally abusive. You know, they're just, oh, my spouse is just the biggest idiot. You know, that's kind of the mentality here. And it's a horrible thing to be on the receiving end of. But we also need to monitor ourselves because we probably all have moments of contempt where our spouse may think or do something that we just find, you know, repulsive or repugnant or in, mm. we're just indignant. How could our spouse think this way? Or how could they do that? You know, this is just horrific. But like you said, Will, unless you balance that with all the good things they do, and if you only focus on those few things that really bother you or that you don't like, you can get, that's how contempt bleeds in. It's very subtle. It can start out very small 
oh, it's just this one thing that they have, this one habit or this one flaw, or they're always late or they're always this or they're always that. Yes. And that can be, it'll just, it's like yeast in the dough, you know, it just magnifies and blows it up bigger and bigger until you're in contempt and you're living in that contemptuous mindset. I, I totally agree, Rick, that if we catch this in the, in the small, you know, when it's first starting, yeah, that's the time to catch it. Yeah. And, and use that as a trigger and reminder to say, wait a second, what about the good things? Mm-hmm. What about the good things? And, and the way I like to approach it is this, is to say, I know this person and I know they're a good person. And so if they're doing something here that I very much dislike, maybe I don't fully understand why. Maybe I don't understand where they're coming from. And, and once again, maybe if I weigh it against all of their positive qualities, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And so however, but you're starting with the assumption of the other person's goodness, yeah. not the assumption of their badness, so to speak. <laughs> right. And the good news is Gottman brings us these four horsemen so that we can address them. And you yes. can address them. Just because you might have contempt in your marriage right now doesn't mean you'll get divorced if you're willing to address it. Now, if you don't address it, it will mean it's it's a matter of when, not if. Yes. It's that powerful. These four horsemen are that powerful. If you let them thrive in your marriage, you are in trouble. However, you can address them. And yeah, sometimes one horseman may come in and romp around and do his damage, but you can still resolve it. You can still deal with it and carry on and repair. Uh, Those are all options. So this is not hopeless. It's to be aware of them so that you can do something constructive about it. And I'm a huge believer that probably if you have these horsemen, get a counselor the two of you go, talked through the counselor. The counselor can help you identify and work through these kind of things. And they're a neutral third party because if, if it's gotten to the point where there's contempt, then you probably need that third person that will make it a lot easier and probably make it quicker. Not that you couldn't do it, the two of you, but I just think uh, a skilled counselor can, can get you a lot further along the path a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Rick. And, you know, we should not ever be afraid of veiling ourselves of outside help. Yeah. Um, with these, but just to, to kind of summarize the four horsemen that we talked about today, uh, we looked at criticism, we looked at defensiveness, stonewalling and contempt. And Rick, what can we do instead of these four to build strength and health into our marriages? So like we talked about, the secret then is looking for gentle startups, not harsh startups, not criticism, to take responsibility instead of Mm. being defensive, to self-soothe and get ourselves to a safe place when we feel like stonewalling and just sticking it to our spouse. And then, of course, we want to build a culture of appreciation in our marriages, and that can be contagious. Yes. We can each be sharing. We could say, hey, honey, how about every night we say three things we like about each other or three things that we appreciate about the person from that day, or one thing would even be <laughs> a step in the right direction. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's so many. I, I love I love the antidotes to these four horsemen. You know, yeah. uh, the four horsemen are scary, uh, and they are destructive. I think they're well-named. Uh, yes. You know, 
and it's important for us to be aware of them, to watch out for them, but, but we can build a much healthier, stronger marriage by following their antidotes. And so that's probably a great place for us to, to wrap it up for today, Rick. But next week, we've got another episode about marriage. Yeah, Will, I've really enjoyed looking at these four horsemen today, and I encourage our listeners to take some time with their spouse uh, to listen to this episode and then talk about it. Maybe have a date night and talk about it over some good food or in a nice location. That would probably help. But that's it for today, and I'm looking forward to next week, Will, when we share some more thoughts that we've come across about marriage and how to make it the best it can be. That sounds great, Rick. I can't wait till next week. You've been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Rick Johns and Dr. Will Johns. Thank you so much for joining us. See you in our next episode. Thank you.